Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this evening is found in the Old Testament book of the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends in Christ, You will have noticed, I hope, that tonight's theme talks about straying sinners. Think for a moment about the parable Jesus told in our gospel. Which of those two men was a straying sinner? The tax collector likely would not have dared to call the Pharisee any kind of sinner. He was too well aware of and consumed by his own guilt to bother with anyone else's. But the Pharisee surely would have had no problem talking not only about the tax collector's many sins, but also about how far that man had strayed from the path of righteousness that, as a Jew, he should have been following. In particular, of course, the path that that Pharisee felt so confident he followed so well. But what did Jesus think and want us to understand? Christ certainly did not deny that the tax collector was a sinner or downplay the seriousness or the number of his sins. But at the same time, he did not praise the Pharisee or declare him free of sin. Instead, he spoke of both of them as needing to be justified, needing to be declared not guilty of sin. And only the tax collector went home with what he needed. So the Pharisee had strayed from righteousness and into sin, just as the other man had. But was it as far as bad? That's the challenge for us when we start talking about sinners who stray. Do we distinguish between regular and straying sinners? How far does one have to go and how bad must the things you do be before making mistakes turns into straying? Can you be a believer and still stray? Or should we leave that term for those who have left the faith, or, or what? That's the challenge. The danger is that none of us tend to think or want to think of ourselves as straying. When we disobey God, when we break a commandment. We like to call it just a, a bad or maybe just an unfortunate choice or a, a matter of weakness or an accident or just a little step away from our 
normal perfection. But the law of God doesn't do shades or gradations. There is the holiness that is living according to his perfect will, and there is the sin that is rejection of God's will in favor of your own. So we don't get to classify ourselves as some sort of less seriously sinning sinners in comparison to more seriously sinning sinners. In fact, the whole idea of ranking sinners is pretty much only our thing and not at all God's. Sinners are people who sin. People who sin are sinners. And every sinner, by his or her sin, has strayed away from our all-holy Creator and Lord. Which means that we all, all people, have a problem. How did Isaiah put it in our first reading? Guilty deeds, rebellion, and treachery against the Lord. We turn back from following our God. We incite oppression and apostasy. We conceive and mutter deceitful words from our heart. The truth stumbles. The truth is missing. There is no justice. That that is what we have done and still do because of our corrupted hearts. And what will God do? He dressed in garments for vengeance. And he wrapped himself with zeal like a cloak. He will repay in full what they have earned, namely wrath to his foes and full payment to his enemies. He will repay even the distant coastlands. From the west they will fear the Lord's name, and from the rising of the sun they will fear his glory. For he will come like a raging river driven by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's another way of saying that God will bring sinners the judgment they deserve for their rejection of his will. Less figurative and more specific passages of Scripture spell it out. Death and damnation to hell are the just punishment we all have earned with our disobedient straying. Now, does it matter whether someone has strayed a short way or a long way from God's path? Say, Say, just a little lying or disrespect for God's name and word versus having an affair or dealing drugs or killing someone. Does it matter? No. As James tells us, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. God does not grade on any kind of curve. Sin is sin. So what should sinners do? There's the Pharisees' approach. Load up on good works. Demand God's approval. Compare yourself to others. Convenient robbers, evildoers, and tax collectors. Or maybe you can do something to show God how sincerely sorry you are, like ripping your garments, or 
something you might do to try to demonstrate how sincerely you intend tomorrow to be a better person. But none of those things, nothing, actually removes the sin that we deserve to be punished for. And all that remains then is to be afraid of God and his judgment. So with all his words condemning us for our sins, the truth of those condemnations, does God want us then to just be terrified? Then to just give up and and give in and live without hope of anything better than what we have right now? Without any hope of avoiding what's in store? Not at all. Because that's not what God is like. Our text from Joel tells us what he is like. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. And a gracious God invites not terror or despair, but repentance, trust, and restoration. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Return from your straying, because God welcomes repentant sinners like the tax collector. Trust God to forgive your sins and restore you to his family because he is full of mercy and compassion. His grace is like him, steadfast. It does not shift. It does not fade. It is not fickle or faithless. God is firm in his commitment to love the unlovable sinner and to show favor to the unworthy. And we can know that with absolute certainty. And we can rely on that because of what he did for us. Paul explained it in our second lesson tonight from 2 Corinthians 5. God made him, that is, Jesus Christ. God made him who did not know sin. He was perfect made him who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Father in heaven sent his one and only Son not only to do something for us, but to take our place as the object of his wrath over sin. Christ took all the world's guilt upon himself so that it was like he became sin itself. And on the cross, all God's righteous anger at man's rebellion and disobedience and straying was focused on his own son 
with his death, the punishment for all that sin was completed, finished, done. And in exchange, in exchange for our sin that Christ took on himself, he gives us something. He gives us his own righteousness so that we might stand perfect before God just as he is. Smack dab in the center of his holiness. Which means that straying sinners who repent of their sins and put their trust in their Savior, Jesus, are made into saints. The same grace that saves us transforms us and empowers us to do the thing that we now want to do because of what he has done for us. We turn away from sin and we do what is good and right and holy instead. This is what saints do. We want to please God, and his steadfast grace enables us to be steadfast in doing just that. So listen and heed God's great great and gracious invitation, not just on Ash Wednesday, but every day. The command, repent, is found many times in the Bible. But all of those commands to repent are matched with, overmatched by, the many times his message to us is all about grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message that is, the assurance that God is ready and eager to forgive and restore. There's, well, we had it tonight. In our, our reading from Isaiah, the Lord declares, a Redeemer will come for Zion and for those who, Jacob, who turn from rebellion. In our reading from 2 Corinthians, Paul urges us not to receive God's grace in vain and encourages those who are not yet reconciled to God, look, now is the favorable time. See, now is the day of salvation. In our gospel, Jesus himself assures us that even a sinner, like a reviled tax collector, will go home justified and at peace with the Lord when he humbles himself with repentance and calls and counts on God's mercy. And there's also the, the parable of the prodigal, where we see the father waiting steadfastly, eager to welcome home his straying son with love and restoration. And there is Jesus on the cross, promising a trusting criminal a place in paradise and asking his father 
to forgive the very people who crucified him. We have a gracious and merciful God who invites all sinners to return to him with all their heart. So he stands there waiting for you, for me. He stands there steadfast with his grace, ready to forgive every sin of every kind of straying sinner. You, me, your criminal cousin, your immoral aunt, your faithless friend, your nihilist neighbor, your craven co-worker, everyone. Consider your sin honestly, with humility, without reservation. And then, rend your heart. Return to the Lord. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Now is the day of salvation. Amen. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Him be the power forever and ever.